welcome back to Olympic Size, the unofficial, unlicensed, unaffiliated with the IOC True History of the Olympics. As ever, I'm your host, Bridget Natale, and with me is co-host... Sarah. And recurring guest... <laughs> uh, Frank Casella. And uh, Sarah... No, we are going to start out... What we have learned (laughs) since the last session. We did some research. We had the dry facts before, but now we have the pictures. We know about the jumps. (laughs) (laughs) We we yeah. Before we get into Amsterdam, nineteen twenty eight summer games. Uh, Sarah did a little bit of, of searching in the break to to get a little more info about skioring, skijoring. And uh, found out that Frank was right about the uh, jump system, how they drag the skier to the side to get them, they kind of Tokyo drift them around. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, new Fast and Furious idea. (laughs) Why haven't they done it yet? Put Vin Diesel on the back of a horse. The rock is being pulled on skis. Yeah, Yeah, Sarah was showing us all these pictures of like sweet little huskies pulling a skier. That's what I was thinking of. So I was like, how does this work? This this doesn't make any sense to me. Not like a demented snow cowboy pulling their poor friend who does which, not look happy about the situation on skis. Which I am now obsessed with. And they're <laughs> yeah. all wearing cowboy hats. All the riders are smiling. And <laughs> all the, the best time. All the skiers <laughs> just look really surprised that there are jumps. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't part of the deal. <laughs> Put it in the Olympics. I want to watch it. Please. It, it should come back. Bring it back. One million percent. Bring, Bring it, it back. back. But not to the summer games. Bring it back, you cowards. As we learned in the last episode... Temperatures of 77 degrees and up are not conducive to snow-based sports. Do not put horses on a lake at 70 degrees. (laughs) It's a bad idea. So, Amsterdam, 1928. The Netherlands. Uh, We have a lot of quotes in this one, guys. That's what all these... There's lots of little flags on my books here. Um, Same as last time, most of my info is coming from the games, A Global History of the Olympics by David Goldblatt, and then I got some of the Olympic Strangest Moments by Jeff Tibbles, and one quote from the complete book of the Olympics, um, which I didn't write down, David Wallachinsky, uh, which I got a lot of, again, I get a lot of my information from him in these, but, um, which will be tough once we get to 1984 and I can't do it anymore. Um, Anyway. It's an older book. The Netherlands had been a consistent presence in the modern Olympics ever since the 1900 Games in Paris, missing only the 1904 St. Louis Games since then. A good choice of games to miss, if I must say. If you're going to miss one, that's the one to miss. Uh, They were also particularly strong in the Winter Games when the only non-Scandinavian countries to win multiple medals in the first and second Winter Games. The first time the Netherlands entered and lost a bid to host was in 1912. In 1920, they withdrew their bid to support Antwerp, who didn't actually want it, but that was the besides the point for everybody else. <laughs> and they withdrew their bid in 1924 on the condition that they would get it in 1928. Finally, the IOC came through for the Dutch and they won their bid in 1928, much to the consternation of the only other candidates, the Americans, who wanted it in Los Angeles. But the IOC would need at least four more years to recover from the disaster in St. Louis. I can't imagine Los Angeles ever hosting an Olympic Games more than once. Multiple times. They've done it a lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the, the thing, the really sad thing is they should just let them do it because they don't need to build anything. Yeah, they're the only place that pulls a profit. Just, yeah. just put them there like every 10 years or whatever. 
So it may come as some surprise that there was significant controversy among the Dutch about hosting the Olympics and where the strongest opposition came from. The bourgeois were very much in favor of it. They had long been participating in English sports like cricket, rowing, soccer, track and field, fencing, equestrian. These were all used as class markers. Those are some very bourgeois sports. Mm-hmm. The men leading the organ- heading the organization of the games were all aristocrats. Dutch representative on the IOC, Baron von Tuyl, Captain Peter Charou, and Baron von Baron Schimmelpenick von der Oye. If you've studied any kind of European history that involves the Netherlands in the 19th century, you may be familiar with the name Schimmelpenick van der Oye. They were a powerful family from about 1418 on, and, well, it's a name that's hard to forget. But this one, the one who was the chair of the Games Organizing Committee in 1928, was not one of the more famous ones. I don't think he had much of a military career, which is where a lot of it comes up. Anyway, the bourgeois were totally into it, and so were the capitalists who figured they could make money and show off and all those things that capitalists like to do. Again, that's what L.A. is for. You yes. go there yeah, they really the should have just leaned into it. The opposition came from two main fronts. One is the communists, which is something we've talked about before, and we'll talk about more in the wrap-up, because there were some changes happening in the Soviet Union around this time. I think it was Lenin who was like, we're not into things like sports. <laughs> Mostly because I think he wasn't into things like he sports. He wasn't good at sports. <laughs> then he became not into sports. And that trajectory was not great for <laughs> their party. Yeah. Um, the other main front of opposition came from the Christians. Calvinism had... Uh, yeah. <laughs> the fun kind of Christians. I was like literally explaining Calvinism to Anna the other night. Topical. How? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're fun. Um, oh, yeah. Had, uh, like, I mean, okay, no offense to any Presbyterians who may be listening. We're talking about some hardcore oh! Calvinists. <laughs> Going off. Calvinism had been a very strong social and religious force in the Netherlands since the 17th century, and it had not let up in 1925 when preparations began. The organizers anticipated some of this. They already knew that there would be no competition held on Sundays, and there would, they would not hold lotteries to raise funds for the games. Unfortunately, this was not enough to quell opposition, and the organizers found out when they went to Parliament to try to get money to host the games. The Minister of Education argued scripture, attempting to prove that the Olympic Games were, n- were not incompatible with their faith. But the House was not having it. And we have a quote... The Olympic Games bear a heathen character in their origin and essence. <laughs> okay, wow. You went a little southern there, and I find that offensive. I'm offended. Well, I have no comeback to that. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's right, yeah. Think about what you've done. Just sit there. Sport increasingly consists of... Do you want this one? The sport increasingly consists of quote? Sport increasingly consists of competitions in which passions are stirred in a very dubious way. God's decrees for life will be replaced by play and self-indulgence, causing the moral degeneration of the nation. Above all, women seized by the mania of sport will lose their feeling of modesty. It's true. (laughs) Women seized by the mania of sport will lose their feeling of modesty is a real good catchphrase for maybe (laughs) this podcast. And if not that, something else. Please use that quote. I have questions about what that means for me 
Not all of the parliamentarians were opposed, however. Some despaired of the countrymen, like liberal MP Stallman, who said he thought he heard the voice of the stake in the witch trials. Bro. Hmm. And Social Democrat Shaper said that this was the language of an afterbirth from the Middle Ages. Bro. Is that... That's the word that they went with? <laughs> that's the word they went with. They were like, hey. Yeah, At least that's right. how it was translated from Dutch. Okay. okay. But still. And after the organizing committee mm. lost the vote, de Coubertin was particularly withering in his criticism. Do you Ooh. want... That's the last one. Do you want that one? Oh, this guy's quotes are always so annoyingly French. What's he saying <laughs> this time? This is from his diary where he was really being honest. Acidly reported in his diary... They were aiming for a one-off record in the field of idiocy. Hell yeah. It is the 20th century, after all. <laughs> That's incredible. That's very French. Yes. Um, also, a sports uh, analogy. Very clever. Um, oh, come on, get all these out of here. All right. Uh, so with no support from the government, the organizing committee tried Plan B. They put ads in the secular newspapers begging for assistance from anybody who wasn't really into the whole fundamentalist predetermination thing. This whole thing is being pushed by the uh, bourgeois and the aristocracy, yes? And the capitalists. People who traditionally have all of the money. And the capitalists who are trying to get more of the money. Um, uh. Uh, by and large, rich just people. saying, it feels yeah. like fundraising shouldn't be your problem here. Yeah, and I mean, when we talk about religion, they were more in the vein of like Puritan, like no fun allowed. Yeah, I mean, should we define Calvinism for people who don't know? Uh, they are the no fun allowed yeah, they, version they, they, of the religious people. They were the ones who came up with witch trials, like mm-hmm. in, in America. Um, and the, the ones who like said colors were bad and Uh so was christmas and any birthday parties and if you have fun it's a sin yeah um yeah they're big into predetermination it's um definitely a very strict way to live all right by and large the dutch were ambivalent about the games until then when they realized just how bad the Olympics were going to turn out after they got screwed by the Calvinists, all sorts of non-religious organizations leapt into fundraising action. Everybody from the National Football Association, KNVB, to the Amateur Alsatian Breeding Society. Hell yeah. And the Wooden Bowls Club of Houghton. Yes. <laughs> started flooding the organiza- organizers with cash. Some real heavy hitters. To put on a good show for the country and prove they weren't a bunch of regressive backwater Bible thumpers. When are we going to do that? Oh, God. The dream. <laughs> as soon as LA gets a shot at the Olympics. <laughs> Give us a chance. The bourgeois also jumped in with donation matching, Special Olympics, chocolate bars, a penny of every lunch sold at Hex went to the cause. They also received funds from patriotic colonists in the Dutch East Indies and other Mm. territories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fun times really took a dive there. So with a combination of spite, nationalism and colonialism the dutch funded their games it's a beautiful blend of all all that life had to offer in the 20s <laughs> and um yeah except the real hardcore religion uh the money was needed before now almost all the games were held in existing structures anything built specifically for the games was temporary the way most of the structures for things like world's fairs were temporary 
Ah, uh, the Space Needle, the most temporary <laughs> structure. Ever. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, the Space Needle wasn't, but there were a lot of structures around it that weren't yeah. permanent. Like the monorail. <laughs> monorail. <sighs> uh, this time it would be different and set the stage for Olympic structures from here on out. Uh, I don't know for the better. So that's not good. <laughs> yeah. In Amsterdam, they built a new stadium as part of an urban planning project with the intention of making it a permanent structure. Jan, sure. the, the Jan Wills, described as an eclectic Dutch social democrat, who was one of the founding members of the Distil Design Movement, was the architect. Not because of any of his actual bona fides, but because he was friends with Captain Charu. Charu and Wills would later go on to co-author the first Dutch book on sports architecture, complete with a preface by de Coubertin himself, titled Buildings and Grounds for Gymnastics, Sports, and Games. It was the first book to advocate a place for sports and sports facilities in cities. And they knew what they were talking about because the Olympic Stadium in Amsterdam is still in use today for soccer, athletics, and music events. Original capacity was 31,600, and in the late 30s, capacity was expanded to 64,000 when they added another ring, also designed by Wills. It was later declared a national monument in 1987 and renovated it took four years to renovate. It was from 1996 to 2000. Just in time for another Olympics. We're your cycle. For the later success of the stadium itself, the construction of it was plagued with problems like the rest of the process leading up to the games. Will's original design for the stadium was far grander than what was actually constructed in 1928. He also wanted a permanent food court or canteen and an Olympic village. Me too, buddy. Both of which were nixed. Instead, the permanent food... Instead of the permanent food and restaurant facilities, they put up tents. And the athletes were housed in, quote, private accommodations and hotel boats. All right. That sounds kind of fun. Yeah. Wills awarded the concrete contract to a company from his hometown, which was decried as flagrant bias. Wildcat strikes broke out at the construction site because of this. And the political opposition didn't let up. This time going after the opacity of the process. And we have another quote about this one. Sarah, would you like to read it? Oh, I don't know if I can read. Here we go. It's this one. It's not French, so... Uh, just the quote? Yes, just the quote. The entire question of the Olympic Games is shrouded in mystery. Their management lies in the hands of a small circle who issue meaningless bulletins from time to time. <laughs> So that were, could apply to any of these uh, games. Why, yes. why are you reading that now? <laughs> well, because they were mad about it this time. <laughs> the stadium itself, once it was done, was a beautiful piece of architecture that was both functional and aesthetically please, appealing. It also had a 400-meter track, the first time that distance was used in the current Olympic standard. There was an internal grass field that was used for soccer and corfball. I'm sorry? I don't know what that is. As well as... I, no, wait. I think I talk about it briefly later. It's like okay. a handball thing. As well as gymnastics. Underneath the stands, there was a continual looped hallway that was used by the press, police, VIPs, coaches, doctors, anybody who had to do with any kind of work with the athletes and needed to get from one part of the stadium to the other quickly. The biggest, biggest flourish, as the design itself was elegantly restrained, was the Marathon Tower on the east side. It was a modernist brick chimney topped by a metal bowl, and in that bowl, the first Olympic flame would be lit. Because this was the first one, and they hadn't really come up with the notion of spectacular lighting of the flame, they just used municipal gas to turn it on and off like a giant gas fireplace. I love that. Nope. Yeah. They should the bring it back. 
Sports writer Leo Lauer was able to climb to the top of the tower with Wills and was delighted by the sight. Who wants to read the delight at the sight of the tower? Is this marathon tower in the sense that it will watch the marathon from this uh, vantage point? I, I, I think part of it, they just called it that. Here we go. This is what he had to say about it down there. There at my feet lay the city of... I was going to say Amsterdam, and that is not what was on the end of the line wrap there. <laughs> the city of Amstel, in the delicious shroud of summer, it was Saturday. The Saturday of free, pure sport. Oh. So. Man, line breaks are hard. It's true. Yes. However, oh wait. Other members of the press were similarly taken by the grace and beauty of the stadium, which is undeniably aesthetically pleasing, whatever other controversies may erupt around it or the games in general. So this is where we have a bunch. So uh, the spectacle, you can get that one, Sarah, right here. The spectacle is so lovely and so wondrous that it can hardly be captured in words. <laughs> so. So. Good writing, Matt. Um, the, however, those in opposition to hosting the games in Amsterdam were not appeased by a pretty piece of public property. The communists gave backhanded compliments to the stadium itself. Who wants that one? Just channeling the communists. The backhanded compliments there. It's um, the bottom half there. It was beautiful. The canals were illuminated so brilliantly that everyone forgot how smelly they had been during the day. <laughs> Incredible. And That's actually a pretty appealing... Like, if you can honestly say that about some architecture, like, yeah. it's a selling point. And decry they decried the entire uh, thing as gilding the rotten lily of bourgeoisie capitalist nationalism. That sounds about right. That's the, what the Olympics are about. The pink yeah. highlighted there. Amsterdam is dominated by the five rings, five knots signaling the emptiness, the hollowness, and rottingness of this international of nationalities. Yeah. Again, I don't... No edits. I don't see, yeah, I don't see a problem. And the Calvinist condemned it as inherently pagan and immoral. They're still going after this one. Oh, this is a good one. You want this one, sir? Channel your inner Calvinist. This yellow part down here. The Olympic Games are the feast of Whitson of the flesh. Total forbearance toward the Olympic Games befits us Christians. What does not stem from faith? It is a sin. You would sooner tread on my dead body than that I would put one foot in the stadium with you. This you must say to your children if they should be so depraved as to go to there. <laughs> your depraved children who want to go to the Olympics. Um, You're no son of mine. <laughs> In fact, they were so persuasive in their arguments of the moral dangers the games presented that an alliance of Protestant, Catholic, and temperance societies joined together to create the Christian Social Coalition. The purpose of this group was to provide safe housing and prayer groups during the course of the games as they expected a deluge of loose women and local girls led astray by the spectacle of athletic man flesh. Going back to the previous uh, quote about the 
right? Like the enthusiasm of sport will yes. just drive all of them in crazy. Uh-huh. Yes. I, I was really hoping you were going to say that they thought some part of this was the number of the beast, like the six gold medals and six silver medals and six bronze medals. I don't think they were like the number of the beast. No, it wasn't no, like it was into occult symbi- symbology back then. Yes, like, they no, were. Mm, mm. Eh. I not as much as they are today. Not as much as they are today. I don't that, think. I don't think the Calvinists in particular get that much into revelations as much as the yeah. like. Because they didn't really care. Yeah. Because they were all predetermined to go yeah. to heaven. You don't really worry. You're not really yeah. concerned not, with that part so much. It's that just, stuff you gotta, really came out of upstate New York in the States, but I don't remember what year. Um, later. Okay. Um, like 1800s. Like, uh, that was around when Mormons were invented, too. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the coalition didn't have to last as long as it might have in the past. In addition to the Olympic flame and the introduction of the 400-meter standard Olympic track, the Amsterdam Games were the first to completely commit to the condensed two-week schedule. There were no events held months ahead of time, months ahead, or months after the track and field competition, which has always formed the main base of the Games. The opening ceremony was on July 28th, the closing ceremony was on August 12th, and all the events took place within that amount of time. That's my birthday. Yes. Well, <laughs> there you go. This in 1928. Uh, this was, uh-huh. of course, due to in part to the establishment of the Winter Games as an entirely separate thing. A big part of this and other changes that will be made is due to a changing of the guard. De Couperton was no longer the president of the IOC, having retired in 1925. Instead, Henri de Bayet Latour, a Belgian count, had begun his tenure as president, which would last until 1942. So he retired in the middle of the war. That's a real good peace out time. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to yeah. deal with this. Yeah. I'm not sticking around to see how this turns out. Uh, it's like, you want me to hold a what kind of games? in the Now? Nah. Sure. No, no. And part of the reason he had been elected in the first place was due to the success of the 1920 Olympics in Antwerp. He was involved in that. He's Belgian. There were a lot of returning favorites from 1924, many of whom would add to their earlier successes and then retire like Weissmuller, Pavo Nurmi, Vil Rotola, the Uruguayan football team, etc. Some notable firsts, other than the ones we've already discussed, included Greece entering first in the Parade of Nations. Before, it was everybody entering alphabetically. Starting in 1928, it always starts with Greece and ends with the host country. And then it's alphabetical according to the dominant or official language of the country in between. Uh, Coca-Cola was a sponsor for the first time, something they had done every Olympiad since. This was the first time the Games were officially identified as the Summer Olympic Games to differentiate them from the Winter Olympic Games. This was Germany's first return to the Summer Games after being banned following World War I. And in the opening ceremonies, while there was the lighting of the Olympic to- flame, there was no torch relay. That wouldn't start until 1936. Nothing Great. else weird happened there. Right. Queen Wilhelmina did not attend and authorized her husband, Prince Hendrik, to open the games in her place. This was only the second time the head of state did not personally open the games, the other time being 1904 in St. Louis, when David R. Francis, the mayor of St. Louis, did it. Oh my god. Which president was it at that point he declined? We don't remember offhand. I don't know if he even knew it was happening. Yeah, that's like, like they weren't. I mean, I would like to think no. Yeah, reason. that was not. Yeah. Nobody knew that was happening. That was very <laughs> under the radar. They killed a man. <laughs> they killed four people? Or no, that was a different. That was a different. No, they. 
What happened was a lot of the water polo guys yeah. caught like diphtheria or typhoid or something from. They killed a man. Yeah. They killed, yeah, from the cow hole they yeah. swam in for that game. <laughs> Jeez. There was speculation that her absence indicated a condemnation of the morally degenerate pagan display, but from all accounts, she just didn't want her cut. What didn't want to cut her vacation in Norway short. She returned in time to close the game to prevent and present special awards at the end. I can't falter for that. And I think we'll go through boxing and then we'll take a break. Because, yeah. Boxing. This is uh, horse boxing or human boxing? Human <laughs> boxing, but it is probably the most uh, exciting um, in terms of controversy. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, a lot of stuff happened. For the most part, these games are relatively drama-free, aside from the furor leading up to them. Is that the word you want to use as we start to approach Germany coming back into the games? Hey. In 1928, Germany you're, wasn't so bad. You're doing this, Frank. You're making these choices. Yeah. But one of the hot spots for mayhem was boxing. Boxing had been a problem child at the games for a few years, but Amsterdam was even worse than the riots of Paris, and it was nearly all due to incompetent judging. There's some ins- remind incredibly me, incompetent judging. Remind me which city claimed they banned boxing when the Olympics came into Stockholm. Time? Stockholm. Yeah. There were 144 boxers from 29 nations competing, and it produced the most controversial results of the entire event to a loudly hostile crowd, starting with the flyweight division. Yes, we're going to go through each weight class because they were almost all were a disaster. Flyweight is up to 112 pounds or 58, uh, 50.8 kilograms. These fights tend to be very fast and rely heavily on points because you rarely see a knockout in flyweights. Boxers in this weight class also tend to skew younger for what is probably obvious reasons. In the first round, 16-year-old Hyman Miller of it's H-Y-M-A-N. This is, you I just mean, have children fighting? Yeah. That's what yeah. flyweight means? Yes. Appeared yeah. <laughs> he appeared to be the clear winner, outclassing Marcel Santos of Belgium. When Santos was declared the winner, Miller's smile literally turned upside down, and he broke into convulsive sobs on the mat. The American team was so outraged that they wanted to withdraw from the rest of the competition. And this is something that made me surprised. But the president of the U.S. Olympic Committee... Major General Douglas MacArthur. Oh All my right. god! Cool. <laughs> what? He's not going to let them quit. That's the thing he does not care He's, to do. I mean, he refused to let them withdraw from the rest of the competition. I guess saying, he wasn't busy at the time. Yeah. In 1928? No. No, no he wasn't anything. busy. He, but no. he did not like quitters, presumably. No, what he said was, Americans never quit. <laughs> Americans cannot and will not tolerate a quitter. <laughs> Yeah, Douglas MacArthur. All right, cool. <laughs> Didn't let the box. At least American he's consistent. Quit. Yeah, yeah, he does. He he sticks with that ethos for a long time. Miller's defeat stood, and he did not advance. Antal Kosh of Hungary won gold in the flyweight division, making him Hungary's first boxing gold medalist. A year later, he turned pro and emigrated to the United States. Bantamweight up to one hundred eighteen pounds, or fifty three point five kilograms. Had another surprise winner that was overturned. Harry Isaacs of South Africa was declared the winner over American John Daly. No relation to John Francis Daly. After the American... I put these in when I look them up. (laughs) After the American had again, by all witness accounts, clearly outclassed his opponent. This so outraged the Americans in the crowd that they stormed the judge's table. (laughs) 
as it turned out, a recurring theme here. One of the judges had confused the boxers and rewar- awarded all of Daly Daly's points to Isaacs. Oh, cool! <laughs> so is... they overturned the decision. Isaacs won the bronze medal, Daly the silver, and Vittorio Tamagnini, perhaps feeling like he dodged a bullet, or just grateful that he wasn't Anglo and looking enough to get confused for one of his opponents, won the gold. I'm <laughs> just imagining, like, you said it was United States and South Africa? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, the white guy won. That yeah. must be the American, right? <laughs> No, like, is that what South happened? African. They they were the South African. They got the the South African. For, but, okay, but it's like, did they did they think the South African? But they were both white. I don't know. Oh yeah. Anyway, I they mean, knew who Vittorio Tamanini was. Well, literally, <laughs> like two years ago, an entire country at Eurovision filled out their judges' cards upside down <laughs> and awarded the points backwards. I'm sorry, they what? Meant to, they they filled them out the wrong. They filled them out upside down. I don't know how to explain this to you. <laughs> they filled them out the opposite way that they intended to and gave top marks to the t- to the country they meant to give the lowest Are points. Are the cards to. like and rotationally symmetric? England what still is- got zero. This was like this was the last Eurovision before that. Okay, I was um, because say yes, that. Uh, yeah, no, that wouldn't have happened. Uh, probably, I don't know. They, they would have gotten some points. They would have gotten accident. some points by accident. That would have been taken away later. It was a huge controversy. It was amazing, but yeah, judges don't know what the hell they're doing. I want to see pictures of these Eurovision cards, please. Right, I had so many questions. They write them by hand. I think so. Like, like so, I, this was like the jury, like the actual people who are there physically, who are like supposed to be like. I thought they at least have a tablet or something. They push buttons. On. I don't know what they did, <laughs> but they gave twelve points to Israel, and everyone was like, "Wait, what?" They were hosting. When you're hosting, you don't get points. Anyway, featherweight is up to 126 pounds or 57.2 kilograms. The gold medal match was between Dutch boxer Lambertus van Claveren and Victor Peralta of Argentina. According to a reporter for the London Daily Telegraph, it was plain as a pike staff who was the master, and that was Peralta. Van Claveren was awarded the gold. <laughs> this erupted into a battle between the Argentinian spectators and the Dutch police. Oh, please tell me it's the same judge every time. <laughs> just giving the wrong points to everybody. One of the judges is unfortunately Mr. Magoo. <laughs> <laughs> they shouldn't really replace him. It's causing a lot of riots. <laughs> Supporters of both boxers stormed the mat and began carrying their preferred fighter around on their shoulders in an attempt to claim victory. Wait, were they playing like chicken? Well, you have another <laughs> boxing mat on the shoulders of your supporters, <laughs> like in, like one of the pool games. Yeah. American boxer Harold Devine won bronze, which did little to quell the rising dissatisfaction among American spectators. I couldn't find anything about the lightweight division, which is up to 132 pounds or 60 kilograms. I'm guessing there was something, but none of my books had anything, and the internet sources barely mention any controversies of any of these things. So you know how sometimes people will do an experiment with the sports. (laughs) Like, oh, let's see what happens if we poison all the wells or something (laughs) on the marathon. Are we we sure this wasn't one of those? Like, let's just see what happens if we flip all the results and try to make everybody real mad. In the sport that's about punching people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were um, old boxers and they got confused. (laughs) Wow. Carlo Orlandi of Italy won gold in the lightweight division. Steven Halaiko of the U.S. won silver, and Gunnar Berggren of Sweden won bronze. 
Welterweight, up to 147 pounds or 66.7 kilograms, was similarly straightforward. New Zealander Ted Morgan winning gold, Argentinian Raul Landini winning silver, and Canadian Raymond Smiley winning bronze. All right. 66.7 kilograms. Barely missing the number of the beast. (laughs) See, you're getting real like... They were right. We're going to get there. Seventh-day Adventist evangelical... It's different brand uh-huh. than Calvinist. Yeah. Fine. Oh yeah, fine. No. Middleweight, up to 160 pounds or 67.57 kilograms, brought a return to mayhem. Czech boxer Jan, there's a lot of accents. Her maniac was a heavy favorite and appeared to win, demolishing his opponent, Italian boxer Piero Toscani. Toscani was awarded the gold. <laughs> I can't wait for the the mats where <laughs> somebody gets TKO'd and then it's like they point at the ground. They get they they got it. They win. It was simply too Italian to lose. <laughs> that, that, that happens. Hermaniac <laughs> supporters rushed the mat, lifted him up, and dumped him at the judges' table so he could plead his case. Oh my God, he has legs. <laughs> Violence erupted in other parts of the crowd, all the way to the back of the hall, as he pleaded with the judges to overturn their decision. The light heavyweight final had to be postponed as Hermaniac's supporters kept shoving him back into the ring. But the reason for this shocking decision is that the judges had been watching the wrong bout. No! What? <laughs> Sorry. So when the guy shows up at their table and it was like, are you sure I didn't win? None of them were like, even are you? who are you? Well, you okay. weren't even in there. Okay. Why did they hire Mr. Magoo to judge this? Like, genuine question at this point. They did not overturn their decision. Shut up. <laughs> I guess Why? I, well, no, okay. now it would make okay. us look okay. like cowards. Like, what? If I wanted to live, I would simply not be really bad at judging the sport where people punch each other. With a bunch of fans that are really angry and, and, and want to punch me. Okay, but I I have to know what was the reaction of the judges when they were like, who is, who this, is this guy and who why is he trying people? to overturn the results? Dos- I'm obsessed with this. This is outstanding. Toscani won gold. Hermetic silver. And Leonard Steyart of Belgium won bronze. God knows who what belt they were watching. <laughs> <laughs> After <laughs> I'm sorry, no. It's, it's outstanding that he just shows up and they're like, who even is this guy? <laughs> I just thought he was like They've brought their most eloquent fighter from another match for some reason, I guess. He's like, if you wanted to win gold, you should have been fighting in the match that we were watching. So <laughs> That's not our problem. Who are they watching? Who are they watching? Just some teenagers hitting each other in the corner. Why do you think you deserve to win? You weren't even there. Two people in the stands who were fighting over some popcorn. They're watching the Argentinian spectators versus the Dutch police. Yeah, they were like, damn. That's a good one. After the latest riot was quelled, the light heavyweight final match began. Why would you keep going? <laughs> no, no, 
the most important thing. The most the most important part of being a judge is to never admit you were wrong. Except that never one time. No, no, you're missing the point. You are you are the law. You are everything. And if you waver, then society collapses. But earlier they they realized, oh, we mixed up the South African and the American guy. We got to fix that, and they did. Uh huh. But then they didn't do it. They were done. They were done correcting mistakes. Everybody you get gets one. one. You get one. <laughs> like seriously. Okay. Why would you keep, quit for the day? And come back keep, tomorrow. If they keep acquiescing to the crowd, then it's anarchy. Okay. Then it's just mob rule. Okay. We're we're proving that the bourgeois aristocracy should be in charge by showing how great of decisions they make and how much attention they pay to the correct boxing matches. <laughs> Light heavyweights. Um, light heavyweights are up to 175 pounds, or 79.4 kilograms, or definitely getting into more knockouts, less points territory. Please tell me they get that wrong at some the point, too. I was a joke before, but now I'm serious. I think they might. Uh, the light heavyweights did not escape the mayhem, this time over the silver medal match. Victor Avendano won the gold in a relatively straightforward way. It was the match between Ernst Pistula of Germany and Dutch boxer Karel Milijan. There was a problem, but only for the local press. They were just appalled that Milijan lost on points of Pistula. Maybe Milijan uh, knocked him out. I don't know. <laughs> this is the thing. There is, like, not enough information about this. Anyway. I want a tape. Uh, finally, the boxing wrapped up with a heavyweight, which was everybody over 175 pounds, or 79.4 kilograms. They've since added another weight class of super heavyweight, everybody over 200.5 pounds or 91 kilograms, but that won't happen until 1984. Arturo Rodriguez of Argentina won gold, Nils Rahm of Sweden won silver, and Michael Michelson of Denmark won bronze. Uh, press, spectators, judges, and participants were disgusted and appalled by what went down in 1928. And we have an excerpt. Um... Excerpt number eight. Who, who wants the uh, reaction? The reaction of who to what? I'm sorry. <clears throat> to all of this? Collectively? Yeah, collectively. I, I don't... Uh, I don't have a name on this one. Literally the collective will of the entire crowd expressed <laughs> this sentiment, presumably. Yeah, do you want to read that one? Sure. It, it starts there and it finishes on the next page. In my 35 years of experience in boxing, I have never witnessed such turmoil. The police had to intervene to keep the furious Czech supporters away from the jury. There must have been more fighting outside than inside the ring that night. The police came off best. <laughs> devastating. That's the most devastating statement. Yeah, the police came off best. Ouch. I mean... So, like, probably they should just have run the judges out of town. And things would have been better. Well, they said something like they were having trouble finding judges. By well, the after the first well, couple of matches, I think maybe you don't want to get on the wrong side of the yeah. crowd. Just let the Czech supporters be the judges. <laughs> and the Argentinians, apparently. They were really mad. Sure. <laughs> as bad as boxing was, and it was very bad, by and large, the rest of the events were not quite as riotous. And, uh, you set the bar real high or low, depending on your scale yeah. here, and the fact that you only barely, not quite as cleared it, is a little concerning. Okay. 
And Pancake has joined us for cycling. Ever since the invention of the bicycle, the Dutch have been avid cyclists. Today, a little over a third of the Dutch population, 36%, say the bicycle is their primary mode of transportation and they have the highest number of bicycles per capita. So the cycling events were very well run and there isn't much to say about them. Definitely better than the boxing. Can we just point out then that they are living the dream of city planning, apparently? Oh, yeah, yeah. There also weren't a whole lot of cycling events, which is somewhat unexpected. 149 athletes representing 27 nations competed in a total of six events. Ireland, Spain, and Turkey all made their Olympic cycling debuts, though none of them won medals. The medal race was won by Denmark with four medals, three golds, and one bronze. The Netherlands came in second with one gold and three silver. Great Britain also won four medals, three silver and one bronze. Sweden won two bronzes, and France, Italy, Australia, and Germany all won one medal each. I just had to put a little pause in there. Track cycling. The four track cycling events were Team Pursuit, Sprint, Tandem, and Track Time Final. Attack, eh, track Time Trial. I'm still mad that we don't do tandem anymore. I want, I want tandem cycling in the Olympics. Unless we have two people on the bike. Bring it back. Yes. Yeah, they should. I didn't realize that was gone, but now that you mention it, I have not seen it in a while. Yeah, it's not there anymore. The Team Pursuit was a 4,000-meter race conducted in a single elimination tournament. Oh, that was Pancake's <laughs> squeaky toy. I'm trying to... It's fine. We'll fix it in post. I'm not going to fix that. <laughs> R.I.P. to everybody who has dogs. <laughs> oh, God. We'll put, we'll put a content warning. Do not listen to this around your dog. <laughs> anyway. Um... Team Pursuit was a 4,000 meter... You should be more clear. That content warning could be interpreted any number of ways. We've had previous Olympics with, like, packs of roving wild yeah, dogs. Yeah, they're going to get ideas. Like, who knows what you might mean. Also, uh, thanks to Sochi, that's not the last time packs of roving wild dogs oh will show god. up. Oh my god, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> time is a flat circle. The team... The center cannot hold. A Team Pursuit was a 4,000 meter race conducted in a single elimination tournament with a race between the semifinal losers to determine third place. Italy won gold, Holland silver, and Great Britain bronze. For the 1,000-meter sprint, racers were paired up in twos or threes for the single elimination heats. By the end of that, Roger Beaufront of France won gold with a time of 13.2 seconds, Antoine Mazarak of the Netherlands won silver, and Willie Hansen of Ger Denmark won bronze. I was going to say Denmark. I just... <laughs> Combined it's Germany a, and Denmark. It's a combination. Well, yeah. The hmm. tandem race was a 2,000 meter race, another single elimination tournament. Dutch cyclists Bernard Lien er, and Don van Dijk, D-I-J-K, Dijk, won gold. Ernest Chambers and John Sibbett of Great Britain won bronze, and Hans Bernhardt and Karl Kurther of Germany won bronze. Finally, the track time. The track time trial was a 1,000-meter race, and each participating nation was limited to one cyclist. Willy Falk Hansen of Denmark won gold, Gerard Bosch van Drakestein of the Netherlands won silver, and Edgar Gray, Edgar Gray of Australia won bronze. <clears throat> so I love that there's a time attack in the <laughs> cycling Olympics of the past. Has the number of cycling events that don't involve jumping gone up over time since this set of games? Yeah, there's, we do more than this. Um, but we don't do tandem. 
Bummer. Bring it back. I know. Do Tandem BMX. Tandem BMX. Yes, Tandem BMX is a great idea. We, I can think of zero downsides or there's any. No, there's there was no already a guy who crashed so bad he got brain injury and probably won't be returning because he got run over after he crashed and now you want to add Tandem bikes. He wouldn't get run over by the other bike if it was also his same bike. <laughs> I, let's get one thing clear here. You were the one who suggested adding Tandem bikes back. So I just wanted the you. race. I don't want it's the... The BMX. Is, you want this. Road cycling. There were officially two road cycling events, individual road race and team road race, but the results for the team road race were determined by the individual. There was only one road race. It was a 168-kilometer time trial at the Hem Bridge in Amsterdam. It was a flat and easy course, the greatest challenge being the occasional strong headwinds. The race started at 8 a.m., and Danish bicycle mechanic Henry Hansen took an early lead. He quickly passed cyclists ahead of him and maintained that lead until the end, turning in the fastest time of the day with 4 hours, 47 minutes, and 18.0 seconds. Italian cyclist Allegro Grandi matched Hansen's time at the halfway mark but lost pace in the downwind part of the race as he had chosen the wrong gear, ultimately finishing in fourth place. Frank Savile of Great Britain came in came within one and a half minutes of Hansen but ultimately finished about eight minutes behind him for a second place. Gersta Carlson of Sweden won the bronze medal. A Swiss author, Julius Wag Wagner, probably, uh, stated that Carlson was disqualified not due not to uh, due to not being at the start at his assigned time. But nobody else seems to agree with that, and he is the official bronze medal winner with Grandi coming in fourth place. So one of these people said he was disqualified, but none of the other records reflect that. So and why did that? persist to this day in the record books if they gave him the bronze medal i kind of feel like i don't maybe that dude's just wrong especially with these older ones <laughs> the records are can be murky sometimes mm. and even if there are um video and photos of stuff not all of them survive like um so but like he has the bronze medal i guess like he yeah. has it it's a thing and it's probably made of bronze. Do they still do that? The you bronze, told me last yeah. week that, like... The gold is gold The gold plate. is not gold. But the bronze is still presumably... The gold, I think, is, like, gold plate over silver or something. Mm, None of them are metal. They're all resin. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, really? No. Oh. <laughs> I'm just suggesting that they're they're made by cosplayers. <laughs> they're 3D printed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they will be soon. That's fine. Ooh, can they 3D print in gold? There's no technical reason that... I mean, there might be a technical... Don't come and correct us in the comments. No, they, I you... mean, there are metal... Like, you can do stuff with metal rosins or whatever. So you're saying... Filaments, yeah. 3D printed gold medals on it, the horizon. It's, it's possible. Hansen's victory in the individual race helped win Denmark the gold medal in the team road race as well, with Great Britain winning silver and Sweden bronze. <clears throat> Equestrian. No. Tandem equestrian. Let's do it. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Two horses, one rider. <laughs> Figure it out. Wasn't that the leaping? There, there are, yeah, there's 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 a sport that involves that. Well you you stand on the saddles, right? That trick uh -huh. riding. Okay, yeah. Equestrian. No horses were punched this time, so better than today. Um there were three equestrian disciplines at the nineteen twenty eight games, dressage, eventing, and show jumping. The entire equestrian competition took place from August 8th through the 12th. Two changes... <laughs> well, happy happy birthday to you and the ponies. Uh -huh. Two changes were made in order to attempt to make the sport slightly more accessible. 
Competitors still had to be amateurs, but they no longer had to be military officers. So before, um, they had to be military officers to compete in the equestrian events. And that was because only military officers had horses? Or only military officers had to use their horse to duel someone with a gun and then escape through a river and then run down the whatever the pentathlon is about? I don't know. I mean... (laughs) Clearly, I'm not wrong. <laughs> Who can remember? I mean, more people rode horses back then, so I don't know why the military requirement at the early games. Military, the only group that didn't pay you for riding a horse at the time. <laughs> I mean, maybe we talked about why that was in earlier, ish, uh, you know, episodes. And I just forgot. So, you know, email us if you remember why that was. <laughs> Uh, the riders could be either military officers or, quote, gentlemen riders by whatever standards their nation decided that meant. So hopefully if it's that you're good enough to get to the Olympics to maybe medal, they'll just declare you a gentleman rider. And yeah. So get them, like, I think that's to cover nations where gloves. there wasn't, like, an established nobility. Like, there was, like, in these Europe, like, most of these Western European company, companies, countries had an established <laughs> noble slip. class, but, like, America didn't, Canada didn't. Australia didn't <laughs> like so uh, whatever whatever they just des- the individual nation decide gentlemen riders were was what counted so I guess no cowboys how dare you well I'm just saying the the Olympics said that this is anti and if the Americans say that the cowboys represent our most gentlemanly social it's class. true that's true it could be and they're wearing chaps. They do own a lot and of a top land. Hat. Oh, no, the cowboys don't own the land. The ranchers do. Wait. The cowboys if, just work for them. What if yeah. they wear full cowboy attire, but with a top hat? Does that count? <laughs> Is this anything? Also, teams consisted of three riders instead of four, which took some of the pressure off of the smaller countries. As a result, 121 athletes represented 20 nations in the equestrian event, which... Uh, whoa, what happened there? My notes just went crazy. All right. Which was a new high, including first-time participants Hungary, Japan, and Argentina. Dressage was handled slightly better in 1928 than it had been in 1924. The time limit was increased from 10 minutes to 13 minutes, which meant that riders actually had a reasonable amount of time to complete the course, and the judges weren't grouped together on one end of the field, but spread out so that at least one of them could see the rider at all times. Which was kind of a flaw in the oh, judging in 1924. They didn't have the little opera glasses? I feel like we talked about this. Uh, there, there was a hill, and, like, there's um, obstacles along so the course. Just, so, like, they were they couldn't see what was happening I would on the simply side put field. all the judges into hot air balloons. <laughs> <gasps> yes, dirigibles. <laughs> yes. Nothing bad ever happened in a dirigible. No. <laughs> Not even once. Despite these improvements, there were some controversies all about the judging. There was considerable suspicion over judges giving their countrymen much better scores than those who weren't countrymen. A few suggestions for how to improve this included dropping the lowest and the highest scores when calculating the totals, which I think they did for a while with like ice skating when I was younger. That was a thing. Having only one judge whose nation had no competitors in the event, and docking the score that a judge gave his countrymen by 20 points. Which, that seems like a really easy one to counteract. Yeah, just give them <laughs> just that 20 plus more. 20 points to your country score. Despite these all being suggestions that could easily be done at the time, they did nothing and would not for about 30 years. But we'll get to that when we get to the 1956 games. When it was all said and done, Germany made a triumphant return to dressage with Karl Freiherr von Langen on Draufganger. Oof, the most German man <laughs> to ever live. On the most German horse. <laughs> Draufganger, 
uh, won gold in the individual dressage competition, and the German team won gold for the team competition. Char Charles Marion of France, on Linon, won silver, and Ragnar Olsen of Sweden, on Gernsling, won bronze. Sweden won the silver in the team competition, and the Netherlands won bronze. There were some changes in the eventing as well. For the dressage part, they changed the time limit from 10 minutes to 11. They changed the point value for the dressage portion as well, increasing the ma its maximum value from 200 to 300 points, and decreasing the show jumping portion from 400 to 300 points. So they e evened out dressage and show jumping to be worth the same. This was done so all the events could have an effect on the final score. The max points for the endurance portions were kept the same as before, and the time limits were increased. The speed for the steeplechase was also increased, 550 meters per minute to 600 meters per minute. What adjustments didn't account for was the difficulty the riders would have navigating a course on a flat field. There were flags set up to indicate where the lanes were, but even with that, eight out of a total 46 riders were eliminated straight off the bat on endurance day because they went off course. Because the team competition was determined based on performance in the individual competition, this meant that only three out of the 14 participating nations managed to have all three team members complete the entire event. I would like some clarity on a flat course versus some kind of alternative course. Is this the hill, you were, talk the hill yeah. you were talking about? I'm yeah, like some kind of like terrain that had like a difference in, in levels I guess makes it easier to find the track if it's just a totally flat field. That so they just harder. put little flags up in a field and then yelled when people went around the wrong sides I, of the arbitrarily. I guess or they rang a bell probably. <laughs> I mean you don't want to yell the horses can, can get mad. I, I feel like they'd be mad about bells. Yeah the too. bells are That's okay. true. I mean yeah who knows. Maybe they're well trained horses. They're dressage. No they do know. dressage so those horses tend to be little better no i want to say better trained but they're not as high strong as thoroughbreds in general pancake just okay like so tablet. having a, a geography based course improvement over having a we put some croquet mallet little hoops in the ground yeah what are yeah. these called croquet yeah croquet croquet gates i don't play croquet so but yeah, uh, the, sorry, the dog is distracting us. You we'll can probably it. hear we'll her. Post. We cannot fix this in post. She's very cute is the problem. She's a cute little dog. Well, um, now she's going to have to be the cover image of the episode. <laughs> but no, we didn't use her for... Oh, oh, we could use her for the one on ski yoring. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so they just... It, apparently it was very hard to tell where the track was. I guess they didn't clear a path either to indicate that. Like, it was just grass with little flags in it. And easy to get on the wrong side of the flags. Um, riders that were eliminated scored zero points for their team, so the surviving one or two rider scores were what determined the rest of the team's standings. The Netherlands won gold in the team competition, Norway silver and Poland bronze. Charles Pahud de mortgages of the netherlands it i'm probably saying it wrong but it literally looks like mortgages on mccroy won gold in the individual gerard de Krajif Krajf of the netherlands on this okay this looks like a vulcan name va to n it's va hyphen t apostrophe en oh my god that guy's a vulcan <laughs> 
won silver, and Bruno Newman of Germany on Ilja won bronze. Mr. Morgus's, the inventor of Morgus's. <laughs> there were two returning Olympic medalists competing in the show jumping at the 1928 Games. 1920 silver medalist Tommaso Lequio di Asaba on Trebeco of Italy, who came in 24th. And 1924 gold medalist Alphonse Gemusus on Lucette of Switzerland, who finished 8th. The first round on the 720-meter 16-obstacle jumping course proved to be too easy for the Olympics, as seven riders were able to go through the whole thing clear, so they made it more difficult, held a jump-off, and three riders cleared. They made it more difficult again, held another jump-off, and only one rider made it through clear, so Captain Frantisek Ventura of Czechoslovakia, riding Elliot, was awarded the gold medal. Do the jump-offs with the equestrian events work the same as the high jump, where they keep raising a bar and the horses have to keep going until someone doesn't I think make? so. It's a course, but I think it's a similar okay. notion. Uh, the other two riders both hit only one rail. Pierre Bertrand de Balanda of France on Papillon hit a rail with his hind leg, so he won silver. And Major Charles Gustave Kuhn of Switzerland on Pepita won bronze, as she hit the rail with her front legs. Adorable. The individual medalists for jumping did not lead their nations to team medals at all. Spain won gold in the team competition, Poland silver, and Sweden bronze. The Netherlands won the medal race for equestrian with four medals total, Germany three with two golds, and Sweden also won three, but none of them were golds. France and Poland won, both won two medals, and Czechoslovakia, Norway, and Switzerland all won one each. And I think we're going to finish this portion of the uh, 1928 games with fencing. Fencing was relatively straightforward this time. All the interesting parts have to do with the fencers themselves outside of competition. But the basic rundown, there were men's and women's events in fencing. For the men, there was individual epee, team epee, individual foil, team foil, individual, individual saber, and team saber. For the women, there was one event, individual foil. France won the medal race with five total, two gold and three silver. Italy also won five medals, two gold, one silver, and, one, and two bronze, uh, two gold, one silver, two bronze. Hungary won three medals, two gold and one silver. They also they won gold in both of the Sabre events, as this was during Hungary's decades-long reign of utter domination in Sabre. We talked about that. They trained to be the best. They had to keep winning. Up until, like, the 60s, nobody could beat Hungary in Sabre. Um, and I think they're still pretty good. They're, they just, like... Nobody could beat them. In even Sabre if for they're decades. even if they're falling like consistently, they would still be among the best in the world from where they started. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a long time before anybody rec matches that national record. Uh, Germany won three medals: one gold, one silver, and one bronze. Great Britain won one silver, and Argentina, Poland, Portugal, and the United States all won one bronze each. Lucien Godin of France had a standout performance. He won 34 matches, lo losing only five, and won two individual gold medals and one team silver. He was the first fencer since Ramon Fonst to win gold in both foil and FA individual. And before you protest that Nato Nadi, he won gold uh, with Nato Nadi, he won gold in team FA, not individual FA. This was Godin's third and final Olympics and his best performance, so he went out on a high note. He won two golds in 1924 and one silver in 1920, all in team events. His career total was four golds, two silvers. Attila Petschauer of Hungary won silver in individual saber and was part of the gold medal team saber team. Erdogan, oh god, this one's bad. Uh, Terz 
Chiansky of Hungary won gold in individual. Pachar was the team captain. Uh, was the team captain? Was described as a high-strung twenty-three-year-old. He won. <laughs> Aren't they all? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some are laid back, I guess. Are they? I mean, I was, but it was with the help of substances. Mm. Uh, he won all twenty of his bouts. He would also be on the gold medal-winning Hungarian saber team in 1932, bringing his career total to three medals. Is 20 a high or low number of bouts in one Olympics series? It seems like a lot, but over the course of a couple of weeks, maybe I don't know. manageable? I think winning all of them is what's... Yeah. Uh, not that you have 20, but that you win all 20 is... is, is I mean, he won the gold. It's a lot of wins. Um... Pachar was Jewish, and during World War II, Hungary was part of the Axis powers. There are stories about what happened to Pachar during the war, although it's not entirely clear how accurate they are. There is one account that he was arrested by Nazi officers in 1943 and subsequently uh, tortured to death in a concentration camp. There was a movie based on this starring Rafe Fiennes titled Sunshine that was made in 1999. Another account was that he died of typhus in a Soviet POW camp. Either way, he didn't survive the war. Another notable athlete was another Jewish fencer, gold medalist Helene Mayer of Germany. Mayer was 17 years old when she won her first Olympic medal in 1928, and she would appear in two more Olympics. Hers is a complicated story that will unfold over time, so we're going to revisit what it what is going on with her in upcoming episodes. She did survive the war, dying at the age of 42 in 1953. And uh, that's it for this time. We'll come back to finish uh, the Amsterdam Games with field hockey, um, which is a more uplifting story than what I just ended you with. So we'll get that one out soon. Um, remember to like, rate, subscribe, and review on wherever you're listening to this. I still haven't updated my thing where it says iTunes, but iTunes doesn't have podcasts anymore. Apple, Apple Pod- Just say Apple Podcasts. It's something. fine. People will know. Google. <laughs> Google Google Podcasts yeah. probably doesn't exist anymore, but people will know. Yeah. Uh, Google where, Reader. Or How dare you. SoundCloud, which is where I host it, I think. Soon. Anyway, wherever you're listening to us. <laughs> and find the us fall on... of Google Reader heralded the fall of the internet as we knew it. That's true. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that, that was a sad day. Find us on Twitter at OlympicSizeCast or email, uh, email us at OlympicSizePodcast at gmail.com if you have any feedback. Or if you're my sister, who still hasn't emailed me because she doesn't listen. All right. 